Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. And welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Loyan. Matt, welcome to another week on the podcast. You know, it's good to be back. Good uh, to be back. Greg was Greg was filling in for me the past couple weeks. Once, I mean, because he preached, that makes a lot of sense. We typically like to have the person who preaches on the B-Side Podcast. We have a plan. It is a part of we the plan. We have a plan. Right. I know it seems like we don't sometimes. <laughs> That's but, true. <laughs> but, we, but we do. And then, uh, yeah, so it's really good to be back and... Speaking of people that preached being on the B-Side podcast, we're kind of flipping around this flipping week. Flipping around. You preached yesterday, Steve. You did a great job. It's backwards week. It's backwards You're week. You're on the podcast. Second Kings 2 yep. is where we were yesterday. And <clears throat> um, yeah, talking about uh, both the power and the plan of God, this this picture of uh, Elijah, really the transition happens between Elijah and Elisha, though it's been building up to that for several chapters. It actually happens yep. in Second Kings 2. So. Let's um let's dive in because we got some questions. We do. We have a, a number of questions. We gotta stay on. We gotta stay on our game today. My banter is is uncharacteristically short today. Okay, I noticed. I'm going right for it. I noticed. Going right for We're it. We're at our best when we get a lot of questions. We are. It helps us focus. Yeah. Okay. This is good. So here we go. All right. Give us your 90 second sure. recap of what you preached on yesterday from Second Kings two. Yeah, Second Kings two. It is where we see uh, the transition, the prophetic transition and authority go from Elijah to Elisha. This is where Elijah is taken up into heaven. This is as they're going around to different cities, visiting sons of the prophets and schools of the prophets. Elijah then is taken away. Elijah picks up uh, the literal and um, non-literal mantle of, of, Elijah, of Elijah to continue uh, serving as a prophet of God. He parts the Jordan um, and then he does... Uh, heal uh, some of the land and water at Jericho, and then that the the chapter finishes with um, kind of an infamous story, right? Of the, the bald and the mauled, the the, the bald, and there's that banter. Uh, the bald, <laughs> the bald, and the mauled. Um, right, the bald headed um, uh, prophet uh, sending uh, the bears after to maul the children, the forty two of the of the boys that came out to jeer at him. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's a little bit of a striking story, an infamous story. Uh, one that's really interesting, one that's, you know, I kind of, I think I said somewhere, I did say somewhere in the in the message, but didn't refer necessarily to that story, but God is knowable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can look at a story like that and go like, what what, what do we know about God from that story um, and, and how we wrestle with that? So it would address that as part of the, the, the message too. But ultimately it is what, what God has been entrusting to his people is that they would put their faith in his power and his plan. Yeah. And what the prophets are entrusting to the people is this, that they would do the same. Because mm-hmm. um, ultimately the backdrop of the stories we're reading in First Second Kings is, um, a, it's we call the series Faith Among the Faithless. We have the few faithful that are putting their hope, putting their faith in the pro, or in the plan and the power of God, mm-hmm. and others that are doing the exact opposite. They're putting their faith in the power and the plan of Baal mm-hmm. um, and other pagan deities. And so that's the backdrop for this story and, and to walk through how do we as Christians understand this scripture, but then also apply it to ourselves and take a big step back and see the big picture that God's unfolding throughout history that's all leading to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's really, and I thought you did that really well at the end, was to take that zoomed out picture 
um, point to the parallels of which there are many between many, yeah. Elijah and John yeah. the Baptist. There's some between Elijah and Jesus as well, but Elijah and John the Baptist and Elisha and Jesus. And I didn't even talk really at all about um, Moses and Joshua. Yeah. Right? So like, there's these parallels. Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, John the Baptist to Jesus. Yep. That could be its own series, really. And there will at least be one sermon on it. The last one of the series is when we'll pull in some of the references to Elijah and Elisha in the New Testament. Yes. Uh, they good. reference back to the Old Testament. Jesus specifically speaks about Elijah and the connection with John the Baptist. So we'll, yeah. we'll get there right before Advent, yeah. uh, fittingly enough, you know, as we anticipate Christ throughout this series in the fall in yeah. the Old Testament, and then we get to Advent. So, yeah. But you did a great job with that yesterday. I thought that, um, you know, your uh, your Godfather reference, I didn't know if you were how much you were going to play up the, like, <laughs> The like Godfather Corleone to listen, Michael Corleone. Listen, like, well, is that is that like Elijah handing it off to Elijah? I just tell you, is we're that... like, I was like, Steve. <laughs> this was a reason I almost didn't do it because I was like, Steve, you cannot find yourself saying that they have to put their faith in God the Father. Oh, man, right. Like, was... I was just like, it was there, and I was like, no, that's the most, that's the corniest thing. If I could we possibly were, if do. we were a church that did like a movie series, that's right. like yeah, right. Liberty goes to the movies. That's like right, that yeah. would have been a perfect. That would have like, been perfect. Yeah, the the Godfather, like, Godfather. God what's the Father. That little, what's that little like insert that triangle insert? Oh yeah, like, like the God the, God Father. the Father. Right. Don't yeah. put it in the God. Have the little puppet thing. Right. In we're doing. We're bantering. We're bantering. Okay. Hey, I need a little banter. Need a little. I mean, yeah. No, that was great. But let's let's dive in because we do have a bunch of questions. We we'll do. try to get to all of them. There's even one that referenced back to uh, to Greg's sermon from from First Kings yes, twenty one right. last yep. Sunday. If we if we can get if there, we get there. Sure. So here we go. First question. Steve said at the beginning, that's you, of your sermon, that God's primary foe at that time was Baal. Does Baal have real power, or is he just an idol that was created by people but doesn't really do anything? Um, so. This is kind of referencing a little bit of a question that we dove into a couple weeks back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the the way to sum it up when we summed it up there, but love to hear your any additional thoughts you have on this. Is Baal nothing, or is Baal actually powerful, but like a demonic power? Sure. Um, go. Yeah, <laughs> and go. Um, I I think that that Baal is a demonic power. Mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's enough in Scripture that we could read and go, man, these people they're. I think we live in a time right now where we're prone, where where Satan and his demonic forces they just they hide in ways yeah. that we don't give them credit yeah. for where they have a hold on people and and this world. And Scripture totally tells us that we are fighting a spiritual battle. Yep. And the well, part of that battle is that on the other side of God, there is a real force, mm-hmm. and that force cannot stand up to God. It will never win against God. The, the the judgment on them is coming. They know it, um, but it's real. Yeah. And so I think when I read scripture and I read about the, the in the Old Testament and read about Baal here, these, they're putting their hope in a real power. Yeah. It's just not, the, it's not the source of all power. It's not authoritative. Yeah. It cannot stand to God. At the God contest we did, 1 Kings 19, yeah. that is where... They they literally expected Baal to answer, yeah, and not in a way that we go, oh, those poor souls. They they really yeah. think and they think that ghosts are real. Yeah, like it's not that they really think that Baal has authority, and they think that because they've probably seen Something. Baal. They've seen some they've powerful. Seen, yeah. yeah, and it's not even just they're giving Baal credit for the rain and grain. Like I said yesterday, right? Yeah. He's the god of rain and grain, the god of fertility. Yeah, yeah. right. He's not just like oh well. The grain comes from somewhere. It must be Baal, right? There, there's that, but there's also something that Baal's showing up in their lives that they're crediting to him as power. And I think it's a, I think it's a force of Satan. 
and it's a, it's maybe even a separate demon of Satan at work. Yeah, it's just that whenever whenever that is pitted against God, there is like Baal shuts up. He yeah. has nothing to say. He yeah. cannot show up. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I talked about yesterday the judgment on Baal and yeah. and how Elijah is taken up in into the into heaven because because Yahweh is the rider of the clouds. He's the real rider. He's yep. the real one. Yep. And I think Satan tries to twist the the truth of God for his own purposes. So I I do think Baal has is a is a real demonic power. Yeah. Whether it's Satan or another demon at work. How much of that, like, I don't, yeah. you know, so yes, I think that's true. I think it's also, they're ascribing to false gods and the idols on their shelves, whatever they can, other than God. I think it's sure. a mix of both those things. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's well said. I think that's the danger for us is maybe, um, you know, the chronological snobbery to use C.S. Lewis's term that says, man, those ancient people would just believe anything. Right. They had superstition about anything at all. Um, they, culturally in that moment, there, there was more of an attribution to unseen, unscientific explanations for things. We can certainly mm-hmm. say that. But, like, people wouldn't have, and especially these prophets, wouldn't have put so much stock in Baal if they had not seen something show up powerfully there. Right. There, there was actually a re, and like, that's where, that's where Satan is deceitful. Demons right. are deceitful. They, that's right. They, they masquerade as angels of light. They, there's yes. something appealing that pulls, that pulls people and draws people to follow them. Uh, and then consumes them. And, and there's certainly them. enough of what they see from Baal that makes them, that tempts them away. It's, it's more complex than that. There's, it's more, uh, sin is more pervasive than just this, but mm-hmm. tempts them away. Man, if you saw God bring fire from heaven yeah. on the top of a mountain, wouldn't you go, oh, that, oh, oh, I, that God has a real authority. Yeah. But there's something about Baal. They're also completely corrupted in their sin. There's something yeah. about the power of Baal. They go, but that that power has also showed up. Yep. They're tempted away to something. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Because the people go back to Baal even yes. after Mount Carmel. That's right. Is, yeah. And they still do after this. They do. Yeah. They do. That's great. And I think it was three weeks ago, maybe on the B-Side podcast, that we talked more about that question I think it was the God contest? I think it was. It was the, the God, God contest. contest. So look up that sermon yeah. in that B-Side. Yep, which was faith in it was called faith in the one true God was that sermon. Yeah. So um that's, First Kings that's nineteen. First Kings nineteen. Yeah. So yep, that's that one. Okay, so next question. How do we balance how God shows up or answers Elijah and Elisha seemingly quickly, but maybe doesn't answer our prayers as quickly or in the way we've been asking? A uh, little side note, it can feel frustrating seeing how quickly and powerfully God is answering them, or even God is able to answer, but not see God's answers as clearly in our own lives. Should we assume that if we haven't seen him answer our prayers, that we are asking for the wrong thing, or we haven't asked long enough, like Elijah had his servant look seven times before a cloud formed, uh, again, on the top of Mount Carmel when he's bringing back the rain. Um, so maybe that answer took longer, or that, or should we, or should we assume that God's answer is wait or no. Yeah. So this is a little bit more of a personal question looking at looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha and then saying, well, what does it mean for us when we're when we're asking things and God's not answering quickly? Yeah. And this is Elisha who picks up the cloak of Elijah and says, "Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah?" Yep. And then strikes the Jordan, the Jordan parts. Yep. Um, and I had said yesterday in the sermon that there's there is something of that question which is really is genuine yeah. of Elisha. He's he he has confidence in God, but yet is still asking where are you? Are you going to show up now? Like, are, are you still here? There's a question there. And an immediate response is yes, because the water parts and Elisha yeah. probably goes, yeah, wow. That everything I saw from Elijah's God is, is with me now too. Yeah. I, I, that's what I thought of too, that maybe the, how this plays out in our own lives is we've seen God show up powerfully somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere else. 
but there's that personal side of it too. Like, is God going to show up for me? <clears throat> That's right. And that, that I, I felt some of that in, in Elisha's question there, as you were right. preaching on that yesterday, like, man, I know God shows up in power. I know he does. You even, you even parse that out. Like, do we believe God is powerful, but do we also trust in God's power? That's like right. there's, you're parsing out, like one is like a factual statement. I believe that that is a true thing. God right. is powerful. Yep. Yes. I checked that yes box next yep. to that. The second question, which is the hard one, but the infinitely more important one is, and I trust that his power can be, is used, will be used for, for me and That's my right. good. And think, that, think about that question as like the first question asked here, is Baal powerful? Right. Is Satan powerful? Right. Well, I say, yeah. Yeah. He actually Satan is powerful. Yeah. And his demons are powerful. I affirm that as being true. Do I put my faith in it? No. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, but with God, it's like, yes, he's powerful and I put my faith in it. Yeah. But that quite the question that they're asking, I'd say... I thought about like from the from the how they ended it. Should we assume if we haven't seen him answer that our prayers that we're asking are the wrong thing? No, I don't think so. I don't think we, if we, just because yeah. we don't see prayer answered that we assume it's the wrong thing. Yeah. Or that we haven't asked long enough. No, I don't think that's always the case either. Or that God's answer is wait or no. Well, maybe in some ways it's wait, right? Because sure. if, if it's an unanswered prayer, it very possibly is wait. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think that we have. There's a number of reasons why. Prayer probably could go unanswered. Yeah. Um, are, is it not along God's will? Is it a wrong motive? Um, mm-hmm. Are we praying something that, and we're also in rebellion? We don't know the heart of God. Therefore, what we're asking is actually rebellion against God. Um, do we have pride? Do we have humility? Um, is it Proverbs 21? Uh, Prover- maybe? Proverbs 20? Where it says, if you if you close your eyes to the needs of those hmm. In your prayers, like your prayers will go unanswered, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's many reasons why probably our prayers go unanswered, um, but I'd say ultimately we can still know that God is faithful to us. Now, yeah, maybe maybe this is a, I'm cheating the question here by just going. I think what we see here with Elisha is a descriptive a descriptive moment. We see a moment of where in history. Where God is showing in a in a this is not a common experience for us in our lives right now, where prophetic authority is transferring from one person to the next. And so this is a story that's meant to show God answering. And there were hundreds and thousands of people living around Elisha in this moment, faithful to God, who didn't experience this type of miraculous answer. And I think that's more what our life is like. Our our lives are filled more with the commonplace faithfulness to God and we see him working, but rarely do we get to see God working in a miracle that feels like answered prayer in a way that we could just only accredit to God. Yeah. I think it's more of a long obedience in the same direction in a yeah. faithful direction with God, trusting that even when he's not answering, there's something that there's still work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. There's still something he's teaching us. There's still a reason for us to be faithful to him. Yeah. But he does want us to cry out to him yeah. in our discouragement. Yeah. And in our frustration, even our anger at times. That's good. Because ultimately when we call out to God, that's expressing faith in God. So to like shake your fist at God is to say, God, I believe you're real, so real that I'm angry yeah. at you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then and where is where is and where God? are you? Where's right. like Elisha's question? That's right. So I don't know. I I I think that's a really important point is to to because it's often easy for us to read ourselves into a character of the the of the of the Old Testament, but of of Scripture in general too. And there is a there is something unique happening here yeah. in this prophetic transfer 
from Elijah to Elisha, yeah. there's a need for God to show up quickly, even to this question, immediately, and demonstrate that, oh no, Elisha, you really are carrying forward that work that Elijah was doing in, right. in my power and as a spokesman for me. So continue to continue to do that. The tension I always feel with prophets like Elijah and Elisha is that there's that uniqueness to them and their role. We're not prophets in the way that they were. We don't say, thus says the Lord, and that yeah. we're not speaking for God authoritatively the way they were. Right. Um, then, of course, though, you, you, you get James chapter 5, where James refers to Elijah, and it's about prayer. And he says, uh, the prayers of a, of a righteous man are faithful and effective. And then he goes on to say that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He actually mm. diminishes the difference between Elijah and us. Mm-hmm. It says we actually are all human beings. And then it says he prayed uh, and the rain stopped. And then he prayed again and the rain started. Now, this is just kind of formulating in my mind as we're doing this. But the one place that there's more continuity created between Elijah and us, you know, there's a difference, right? He's a prophet. We're not. So there's mm-hmm. discontinuity. <laughs> right. Where there is continuity in James chapter five, and he prayed for rain to stop and then prayed for it to, and rained again. There's a three and a half year gap. Mm, that's right. Not, sure. not quick. Yeah. And, and actually he sat at Cherith Brook for probably at least half that time. That's right. If not more before he went, you know, to Sidon um, and met with the, and lived with the widow, you know, in her upper chamber for a while. But um, there's, there's a, my point is there's a long gap in the one place that, that more continuity said, Elijah's a man with a nature like ours. He's a human being. Yeah. There was a lot of waiting yeah. in that. Yeah. And maybe that's more the, the prescriptive aspect to say when he's not just functioning in his prophetic role, but as a, as a man with a nature like ours and mm-hmm. praying, we should probably expect some, some waiting like, yeah. he, like he did. That's good. That's really good insight. Yeah. Keep going. We keep got going, some more. Keep going. Okay. Uh, there were several questions related to one another about this, and you yeah. had to expect someone was going to ask a question sure. about yeah, the double portion stuff, yeah. right? So yeah. let me try to combine a couple of these. Um, one is, is saying, what does it mean that Elisha got Elijah's spirit? Yep. Uh, another one related says, a double portion of the spirit. We have the Holy Spirit poured out in his fullness. So to speak of a double portion doesn't make sense post-Pentecost, does it? And what does this tell us about the nature of the spirit pre-Pentecost? Mm-hmm. And then uh, another question related, what's the significance of the double portion of Elijah's spirit? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is he just saying he really wants whatever Elijah has? Yep. Give me some of that. Give me yep. two scoops of Elijah. Two scoops of Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, if any, are the implications for us? As in, <laughs> can we have greater portions of the Holy Spirit within us? Or do we just become more attuned to the presence of it? Yeah. Uh, this person says, I've always assumed we just become more attuned mm-hmm. since we also don't become more saved. There's yep. not like... Yep. Right, you know, tenth degree black belt of salvation versus a, what know. degree black belt of salvation are you, Matt? I'm sure people have created those okay. orders. Before. I'm sure they have. I'm sure yeah. that's a thing, <laughs> yes. but they shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, here we're talking yeah. about maybe. So maybe, yeah, talk about maybe what it means that he got the spirit. Yep. And the double portion stuff. Love it. So I do think, I think the double portion is primarily about Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy, I think seventeen twenty one. So it's it's primarily about the inheritance. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you can find it. Anybody go do this Google. You can Google and find, I think I even remember this from a younger age, um, a, 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 a Christian uh, speaker that I loved growing up. I remember in a sermon he gave uh, on this said, and Elisha went on to do twice the number of miracles that Elijah did. Okay. I mean, that, have you heard that before? I've not. Oh, that's out there entirely. So now what's funny about it, if you, you can do the research, because I did it for fun. Leading into this tournament you, a couple man. weeks ago. Yeah. Because um, I don't actually think that that's true. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I find it very interesting. Yeah. But you can find 
Well, yeah, um, Elijah did six miracles, Elisha did 12. And then you can find another that says it was 12 and 24, 16 and 32. It's like, it's it People almost... Count lots of stuff. It can kind of be like, that's what we're looking for. Therefore, sure. what counts is a miracle text. and you read it into the text. Yeah. And so that discernment on that situation, that was a miracle of discernment as opposed to just normal. You huh. kind of, you kind of... Put that on the text and go find it. Well, let's clarify because you're okay. going to Deuteronomy 17. Yeah. Does does it mean that he got twice okay. the spirit that Elijah had? Or okay. does he mean he got, because it says double portion. Yes, that's Not, right. I got twice Elijah's spirit. That's right. So but it says double portion. Is, right. It says less than whole. <laughs> but mo- but but twice, you know, so like. Double portion says less than whole. So like, go, go to your inheritance Oh, thing okay. Yeah, yeah. Deuteronomy yeah. 17. Yeah. That's where I think it is. Yeah. I think that's what it's primarily okay. about. So I think if we count the miracles, that's interesting. Sure. I think it's a fun thing to think about. I don't think that Elisha is saying, I want to be twice as strong. Yeah. Or like, I want twice whatever Elijah had. I want to be twice as good or twice as effective. Yeah. He's saying, he's hearkening back to Deuteronomy 17, where the firstborn gets the double portion yeah. Yeah. of inheritance. Totally. He's saying, I want to be a son of God. Yeah. He's been a mentee yep. of Elijah for... X number of months here, yep. years. I don't, I don't know the exact timeline on my head here. I don't know they've been together and study that. Um, but he's been a mentee to go, Elijah's, that's why he says Elijah's God. There's something he's discerning yep. and learning here, right, about Elijah's God. He wants to be a son of God just like Elijah was. He's calling for that. And he's an Israelite. He understands the history too. He's yep. not learning about God for the first time. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. But he wants the inheritance. That's what it's about. Yeah. Um, and the, the interesting thing there is, so I think that's a helpful clarification because I, I read this initially years ago and, and thought, oh, he's wanting to be twice the man. He's wanting to be twice as good as Elijah sure, was as a prophet. Right. When you when you look at it through the grid, rightfully so, Steve, of the inheritance, if you asked for a double portion of your father's inheritance, it didn't mean you were getting twice what your father had. Sure. It meant right. that he was dividing That's up right. his inheritance. And as the oldest you get son, two of them. you got double portion. And That's I think right. it's especially... You get two of those portions. Two of those portions. That's right. And I think it's insightful even that the context of this is he's making his farewell tour, as you called it, yep. yesterday, to the other schools of the prophets. He's also been training other prophets. There's more faithful prophets than just Elisha. That's right. But Elisha is clearly like the main, he's like, he's the Joshua to the Moses. He's, That's right. He's the, yep. he's the next person to carry it forward as a, as the primary leader. And so he's getting a double. So if Elijah as the main prophet is now going away and he's leaving behind his prophetic ministry to others, Elijah is going to get a double portion. Elisha. Elisha. Sorry, Elisha yep. is getting a double portion. That's right. Um, not double the amount of Elijah. That's right. Yep. And so I think that I think that's primarily what's it, what, yeah. what it's about. Uh, to one of these questions, it's not. So I don't think we can go like a one for one comparison to the Holy Spirit and what we mean by the Spirit indwelling someone as a sign of salvation. Yeah. Right. It's not that. Yeah. Um, and so any one of us. So even that question about Pentecost or New Testament, like now we're living in this yep. post Christian, post Christ age. Yeah. We're waiting for Christ's second return. Any one of us who has the spirit as the sign of salvation has the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Romans talks about that, Titus, right? Anywhere where we see Ephesians, all of what we get from the spirit as a sign of our salvation, a down payment mm-hmm. of our salvation, that is, it's a hundred percent true all the time. Mm-hmm. I do think there's something that Elijah, Elisha is looking for with regard to this, a spirit of faithfulness. Yeah. Um, and or, we, or empowerment. Or for... empowerment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause you, you even see at times 
um, where, and we're going to get to Gideon in a moment, you know, but like with Gideon, the spirit comes down on, on Gideon. We see the spirit in the old Testament coming on to people, leaving people. Yep. There's something there about them. The spirit is a work that secures salvation and is also the power of God. And more in the old Testament, it's, you see the, you see the spirit come upon people, not in this indefinite. So like you're, you're, that's right. you're talking that's about that's the, right. the deposit or this, like the, in, in the new Testament, post Pentecost, the spirit is a seal. That's right. It seals us. It assures it like it, it applies the work yep. of Jesus. Jesus Perseverance work to of us. the saints. Yes. Yep. That you don't see that same, that same function of the spirit sealing people. That's right. In the old Testament, you see the spirit empowering people coming on people for specific acts or specific yep. moments. You see Samson empowered by, you see you, the spirit comes upon the spirit <clears throat> Lord comes upon. Yep. And that's more the, the, the idea here. Yeah. And I, so I think I have me looking at like no notes I had, like he, there's something of that request that's felt for him. Is mm-hmm. it, is it faith that rests in the presence and the power of God in a very unique way? It's obedience that put, to put God's will first. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a discipline and a faith of that's power to do that. It's courage to stand against opposition. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe those are some things. Um, I didn't preach on this at all yesterday, but you know, Isaiah 11 would probably be further study. I'd be like further study for us to do mm-hmm. in Isaiah 11, mm-hmm. where we talk about, the spirit being one of wisdom and understanding, mm-hmm. counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord, right? So the spirit has gifts that show up in people. It's the power yeah. of the spirit, yeah. right? Primarily, though, this passage is about the inheritance. Yeah, It's about being, I want to be a son of God, mm-hmm. like Elijah was a son of God. I want to I receive that inheritance mm-hmm. and be faithful to it. Be faithful. Not, not flee from it, not be cast out from it, not be my old man, yeah. right? I want to be a son of God. Yeah. And then so to kind of take it into to, to one of these last <clears throat> questions, like, can we have greater portions of the spirit within us or do we become more attuned to the presence of it? Um, the idea of so like this side of Pentecost, mm, yeah, we're given the spirit. We have the fullness of the spirit. I would agree with that statement that the one questioner asked. Um, but maybe Steve <clears throat> parse out or tease out. What, what does that mean? What do we, we don't become more saved. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, are we becoming more attuned to the spirit or even like gifts of the spirit? Paul talks about earnestly desiring the, the greater gifts yep. uh, and actually having an ambition that the spirit would empower more in us. So maybe is there some parallel there yeah. to, to I think I, I think there is. I don't, I don't know if that's primarily what's happening in this passage, but I think for us, it's like how we see something that God unfolds later in history as being applicable to us. Mm-hmm. There's maturity that we have in the spirit that we grow into. Um, and so whether that's, whether that's like what Isaiah is taught, Isaiah 11 is referring to, like the, the power of the spirit as it shows up in us, hmm. um, how we would maybe commonly or in passing say someone has more faith than another. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't say, well, that person is more saved than them, but mm-hmm. like the outworking of mm-hmm. their salvation in them is yeah. more evident. Yeah. Um, I think about, you know, uh, the armor, the, the taking up the full armor of God. Yeah. It's like, boy, these are actually things we can be doing in our lives as disciplines and habits that yeah. show our sanctification. Yeah. So in some ways, yeah, I do think we grow into the spirit. And the more we do that, the more the spirit flows out of us, mm-hmm. probably in ways that we don't recognize. Like that's not mm-hmm. our work. Mm-hmm. That's the work of the spirit within us. But it mm-hmm. is a lifelong journey to grow into the spirit more. And as a result of that, experience more freedom and gifts of the spirit. Yeah. Think about the person later in life. You can imagine two Christians that are both saved, but one later in life just has more freedom mm-hmm. um, in the life that they've lived mm-hmm. um, and the sanctification they've un- undergone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to, to be free, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the gifts of the, that the spirit has given to them. And one that feels more in doubt, more fear, more shame. Yeah. And yet they're both saved. So I think there's, yeah. I, think, I do think there's a difference there. Yeah. That there's not, there's not gradations <clears throat> of, of salvation. You're more saved, you're less saved, but there, there are more, um, you know, I think there is, there is a way that we're more empowered by the spirit. I think there's ways that we grow in the, in the expression of gifts yes. empowered by the spirit. Um, I think there's, you know, Paul talks about different, um, that we become, we become cleansed and holy to be, to be usable vessels for God in a certain way. Like part of our sanctification and growing in holiness yep. is that we're more usable by God in a way. It's, and that's not saying that you don't have value if you're still struggling with sin and you're not cleansed from your, you know, you're still saved. You're still sealed by the spirit, right. but that there's a, a way that the spirit of God empowers the gifts of the, of the spirit in you through you. Um, I think that's, that's something to aspire to. It's even like to long for the, the, the greater gifts that, like, yep. you know, um, so I think there is something to that. And yeah, these are great questions though. Yeah, hopefully, they really are. Hopefully that, yeah. that clarifies some of it and, and gives you some more, you know, fodder for Bible study conversations this week. Hey, let's keep going. Okay. Um, when I read about Elisha pounding the water with the cloak and asking where God is, it felt a little bit like the story of Gideon, Gideon where he's asking God for a sign. <clears throat> When we covered that in the sermon series, it felt like, so we're going back now mm-hmm. to Judges a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, it felt like getting, uh, asking for a sign was testing God and demonstrating a lack of faith. Whereas today, it seemed like you were saying Elisha was asking a normal and genuine question, expressing understandable doubt. Are the two different from one another? And when, if ever, is it okay to ask God for a sign? Yeah, it's a great question. Really good question. Um, I would say, tongue in cheek. He wasn't asking a very normal question because this is a prophetic moment. This is like a moment of a miraculous moment, right? Yeah. But that's tongue in cheek. What's normal about this question is, yes, he was asking a question that a certain amount of it was a genuine seeking of God, like asking God to show up. Yep. Um, I didn't, I didn't read it similarly as a test. Yeah. I didn't read it as a, um, God, if you're real, show up now. Right. I read it more as, and I think my, my study was more in, in, in tune of, um, he's taking up Elijah's mantle, his cloak. Yep. Right. And so he see, he's, he's, he knows he's seen an answer to his request. Yep. He requested to receive a double portion of the spirit. Elijah says, if you see me taken from you, then it will be so. And if not, then it won't be. Mm-hmm. He knows that's what he's seen. So he almost is anticipating that this request has been made true for him now. Um, he is, he tears his clothes in mourning. Yeah. So he's all, and which is, in, I love, I mean, I love the symbolism in this chapter. Yeah. There's something about tearing those two clothes in mourning that reminds me of the curtain being split in two hmm. um, huh. when Christ is on the cross. Hmm. And there's like a lot of parallels, obviously, between Elijah and Elisha. Huh. And how the spirit shows up in Elisha, descends on Jesus. Hmm. And I think it's just, inter- I think it's just a fun there's thing a to look at and go, yeah. like, wow. Yeah. Elisha tore his clothes in two. Yeah. Um, and the curtain tears in two. Yeah. Um, anyway, huh. side note, tangent. Yeah, tangent, um, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Make sure we're still recording fine. Yeah, we are. Um, so I didn't read it as a test. He's yeah. mourning. Um, he's putting his faith in God alone. Yeah. He knows he needs him. He knows he is insufficient for the task. Yeah. Right. I think that's part of the, part of what's kind of uh, um, inspiring his plea yeah. to God and he's calling out to him. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's, it's less of a, it's not a test. I think like, like Gideon was more of a test. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I think he's pleading out to him, asking him to answer. Yeah. I would, maybe these are the words that come to mind for me as you're talking. It's super helpful and clarifying in my, my own thoughts, Steve. Um, Gideon's comes from reluctance 
And Elisha's comes from um, a desire for confirmation and affirmation. Like it's Hmm, so in context, and it's been a minute since I've read that passage in Judges, but um, in context, Gideon already had an angel of the Lord appeared to him personally while he was hiding in the wine press and said, Hey, almighty man of valor, here's what you're going to do. And then he's reluctant and he goes, not me. And he, that the, his his asking for a sign comes more out of reluctance. Like you're going to have to persuade me, sure, because he's already but God's already told him. God already sent yeah. the angel of the Lord to tell him personally. Elisha, I'm trying to. I don't think Elisha has had his own interaction with God apart from not in scripture, not that we've seen, not that we've seen in scripture Correct. apart from Elijah. Elijah right. is the one that's seen God. Elijah right. is the one that's just, you know mentoring him to take up this mantle, right. prophetic office, prophetic ministry. This is the moment that Elisha says, I believe in the power of God. I've seen it. I've seen it through Elijah. I've followed him all these years. Where Now, where is he for me? Is he going to show up for me too? Yeah. But it's not reluctance because he's he's there. Yeah. And it's more the like, this is my moment to ask for the confirmation that you are with me now the way I believe that you are. Right. But there wasn't, I don't think there was prior to this moment, it was certainly not in scripture, a direct, like Elijah called Elisha to follow him. He yeah. did. But God didn't, like, we're Gideon. God clearly said to Gideon, you're going to do this. And right. he was like, no, 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 like, are you sure? Let's test yeah. it a couple I think times. even the Lord even shows up to Gideon, it says in yeah. Scripture. Not even an angel at first, and then it becomes a theophany. Right. And then, like, a Lord, the Lord shows up. Yeah. Or it's the angel of the Lord. Well, it's yeah, the angel of the Lord first. I think okay. it's both. Okay. Yeah. But so that, <clears throat> that's where I think there is a difference between yeah. between these two things. And Yeah, and, I think, yeah. think Elisha has faith. Mm-hmm. He has faith in God at this moment. Even to what happens next, those 50... Strong men that say, let us go find Elijah. He's like, no, don't go. Like, he knows what's happening. Yeah. He knows that Elijah has been taken him to heaven. He knows that his the authority now is with him. Yeah. But he's still just, he's still, I think he's a flesh and blood man yeah. who for X number of days here has been uh, fleeing for his life. Yeah. Um, has seen massacre. Yeah. Uh, has, is, is probably, is, is worried and scared even as he's completely confident. And has the spirit in a way <clears throat> that is powerful. He's also a flesh and blood person that's has some fear, has some mm-hmm. doubt, and is questioning God. Where are you? And God answers. Yeah. So I didn't say I did not that's read good. that as much as a, of a test. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I I agree with that. Is there okay? So the last part of this is it ever okay to ask God for a sign? So what, take this maybe to our own sure our own lives. Where yeah was it ever well, okay for us to do that? I mean, we're told not to put the Lord God to a test um, in Scripture. So in some ways, I'd say I don't think we should look at Gideon. Um, and go, well, Gideon, that's, that's not a prescriptive story for us, Sure, for us to put the fleece out. I do know that that's, I obviously it's a little bit of a common Christian culture, Christianese thing to do. Sure. Um, how put the fleece out and see what God does with that. We refer to that in a way that any mm-hmm. one of us does that. I don't, I don't, I don't think I do that. I don't think you do that, but it's, it's a, Sounds like a comment. Steve can't stop talking about fleeces. Fleeces. He's just talking Listen, about if you guys come here during the week, the parking lot is filled with fleeces. I got, yeah, I'm, I'm checking. It's our staffing fleece. It's our staff, right. elder team fleece. We have elder team fleece. Yeah. Financial fleece. That's building right. fleece. Yeah, yeah. there's yeses and noes all over lots, the parking lots lot. Lots of things tested yeah. at this point. Yeah, the closet's filled. When you guys come here on Sunday, don't open up the closet by the front because that's where we keep the fleeces. Um, sorry. Okay, so, um, I, I mean, is it okay for us to ask God for a sign? I think I... I think I'd more want to ask the person, what are you looking for God to do? And how are you, how are you praying and pleading and understanding uh, the character of God in that request? Mm-hmm. 
more so than saying a blanket yes or no blanket, mm-hmm. no pun intended, like a yes or no. I'd, I'd be more prone to say, like, no, we're not to put God to a test. But what do you mean by test? Yeah. Is it, it are, you, are you praying to God for something that you're not seeing answered mm-hmm. and therefore you're doubting if God it can hear you? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that yeah. um, as opposed to, oh, God is God is this, uh, you know, this I, this being in the sky that like if I test him, I'll therefore be able to interact with him better. Right. I don't think God wants us to interact with him in tests. Yeah. I think he wants us to interact with him in prayer and faithfulness and obedience. Yeah. That's and, good. Dis- and discern his character that way. And it feels different to ask God to show up and attend with power something that you're stepping into already as you're saying, I'm, I'm following you. I'm following yeah. you, God. So show up and in your kindness, help me see ways that you're confirming that this is the way to go. Yes. Or that right. I'm doing the right thing or that right. you're with me. I think it's totally, it comes from a sincere place of faith and a weak place of weakness and like a, a longing to have that sense that God is with you mm-hmm. when you're, when you are following him and asking him to show up and attend with power, the, the stuff that he's put before you and called to do like, I'm like, Hey God, I'm, you know, I'm trying to love the people that live in my neighborhood. Would you just show up and, sh- and show me some ways you've just been at work before me and then I'm stepping into the right stuff here yeah. or tell me if I'm going the wrong way, but like yeah. you're in it versus saying, you know, versus stepping back and going like, well, the first person to knock on my door on the third Thursday of October is going to be the person that God that's that, that feels more yeah. fleecy, like right. test, you know, sure. testing God as opposed to asking God to show up. The yeah. Hour. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. We got a couple more. more. Keep going. Here we go. Second Kings two has an interesting story at the end and interesting is a really generous <laughs> oh, does it? term. That's, okay. a, that's great. Yeah. I love yeah. it. That's the bears, the yep. she bears Bear story. 42. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, verses 23 through, through 25. At face value, the story appears to be telling us something, but without the context you provided, you, Steve, much of what we learn from the text feels a bit lost in translation. Like there's probably some stuff there that we didn't hear in 2 Kings 2, Uh, which leads to my question. What tactics do you turn to to understand tricky passages when you suspect you are missing something crucial? Yeah. I mean, great big picture question about how we interact with scripture. Man, if we don't understand something or if we are, if we're like, sniffing out some confusion yeah we, we gotta go to study we just gotta we gotta go to yeah. commentaries we have to we have to lean on those that are more learned than we are yeah. um obviously i'm i am not trained in in uh, the original languages and so it's very helpful to like go find those resources and i think it's like a great example like this is a great example small boys is yeah. like a completely misleading term in the esv it has a big range big range right it's got you got Mo- it's referred to as moses in as the reeds as a yep. literal baby yep. and young man absalom who's yep. like probably about, late teens probably in its late teens mm-hmm. about to become apprenticed as a king yeah. right and then you have all these others and yeah one one reference to a priest in training mm-hmm. you know and so that's very interesting when you consider that there's probably a school of the false prophets yeah. at Bethel here too yep. and so maybe we don't know for sure maybe these small boys are actually young priests in training yeah. all that to say that to maybe the, the question here is that context is really helpful what do we do when we find something in scripture and we go i'm missing something or like what do i do with that we should always study it more yeah, the, the first principle would be scripture interprets scripture. So, and, and we believe that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of revelation that, that reveals to us and wants us to actually know and understand what we're supposed to know and understand. Yep. And that there's passages in scripture, like if you just read 1 Corinthians without any context stuff, you're going to be like getting baptized on behalf of your relatives that passed away and weren't baptized. Sure. Like there's yeah, this like, right, what right. is going on there? And right. then, 
wow, the, the New Testament reading plan. We're in First Peter three this morning. It's talking about it's talking about Jesus preaching to those who were in prison, and then like Noah in the days of the like. You're like, what are we talking about here? Yep. So you have to take these obscure texts that are like, okay, what is going on there? Yep. And 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 that, I thought you did that really well yesterday, saying first of all, this word has a range of meanings, so yep. it's not. It's probably not like seven and eight year old boys. Right. It's probably like fifteen to eighteen year old boys. Right. That's like okay, they're it's a little different feel. Um, the whole idea of Bethel being the center of idolatry in the Northern Kingdom that's a um, that's a that's a big deal. Like that's that's a context clue that um, that you really need to. Um, to bring in. So you're, you're pulling in there from the other aspects of it, the, the context that brings the clarity that the rest of scripture provides. So if we had backed up and read all the way from the beginning of first Kings chapter one, you, we would have read about Jeroboam setting up the golden calves in Bethel. And immediately then when we read Bethel again in this text, we would have gone to, um, Oh, Bethel. Yep. That's a place where like people are really entrenched in their idolatry. That's right. And so here's a faithful prophet of God going into town at Bethel, which is a center of idolatry. And they're, they're not just making fun of a bald guy. Right. They're like, they're making, they're, they're rejecting right. his God. Without, without scripture, interpreting scripture, without a better understanding of the, co- we should always root in the context. Because yeah. every story first happened to the people. Right. Right. We, we tend to apply that chronological snobbery. Yeah. We tend to read current issues and our sensitivities and things today back in the passages of the lives they were living, the lives we're living. Yeah. And we read something. That's a great example. This passage. Oh my gosh. I can't believe they're making fun of this guy for being bald. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like that's the that's the only thing that's happening. And it's far from, it's probably the last thing that's actually happening. Yeah. Um, like I, th- I said yesterday, right? If he was short, they would have called him shorty. Shorty. Right? Sure. It just, doesn't, doesn't really matter what yeah, his I mean, was. Listen, it doesn't make any bald people feel better, right? I'm not. <laughs> oh, it makes them feel a lot better. Does it? God avenges his baldness. Well, that, but, I'm, but now I'm saying he's not, that's got nothing to do with it. So I, I'm sorry. I took away the, I took away the, the pleasure of the passage for the bald people. But um, anyway, so it's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. It's well said. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, that's yeah, really good question. Uh, one more. Let's do one more. Okay, uh, could you speak more to about the issue of God and violence in the Old Testament? Um, so another again, big picture here. Um, also related, when should parents introduce their children to harder topics in the Bible to prepare them for those who try to undermine the Bible? What is the church's role in that? Could you recommend further resources about this topic? Um, this person references a book, "Is God a Moral Monster?" Yep. Uh, that book was recommended um, to this person. Do you have an opinion on that as a resource? Yeah. Great questions. There's a couple really specific ones and then a couple a couple broader ones. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the broad one, God and, and um, violence in the Old Testament. Let's talk about maybe let's get there, right? Sure. So let's start with that. Where should parents introduce their children yeah. to harder topics in the Bible? Um, well, you should definitely introduce it to them only when you understand it a little bit yourself too, I'd say. Sure. So maybe, maybe that. Sure. Um, and not that you have, I'd say as a parent... We shouldn't, let's never present ourselves to our children as if we are um, the only authority on what scriptures, like we, it's okay for us in our, for, as our children, we have young children, right? So like, but we have some growing children, so we don't, Yeah. but I I hope I'm a father that will continue to be someone that when my child sees me, they go, man, dad also has questions, Yeah. but he wrestles with those questions. He tries to understand them. He says that God is noble and he tries to understand God as much as he can. Right. So with a story like this, don't steer away from it. Yeah. This is probably an example like this bear story one and violence in the Old Testament is a good story of 
don't avoid this question because yeah. someday your children will find them. Yeah. And so I think it's important for us as Christians and as parents to to really get into these stories and understand them more for ourselves so we can speak to them yeah. in the right time. Now, is that a story that, you know, in some ways it's a story that my youngest kids who are five and three can hear that story and learn a very general lesson about, sure. you know, sin has consequences. And yeah. maybe they don't think about it as much because they just think, wow, that bear killed four, you know, 42 kids. And yeah. like, they're so young that they don't understand how gruesome that is. Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe my seven to nine year old don't understand how gruesome it is yet either. Yeah. But there's different ways to teach that story to a nine year old than you would a five, five year old. Yep. And there's more opportunity to teach it in a way that's more complete to a 15 year old than a nine year old. Yeah. So I do think we should, we should introduce our children to topics when we can speak to them with a little bit more clarity yeah. um, and discern what what they're trying to understand themselves about these topics. Yeah. But I wouldn't steer us away from always talking about hard things. Yeah. Discern that from the seven-year-old to the 15-year-old. Yeah. But like there are – because there are absolutely – there's really necessary questions that should be asked. Yeah. And ultimately, a lot of those questions get asked by those attacking yeah. our faith yeah. as to why these stories are in the Bible. Yeah, I, I think a principle that, that we use in like planning sermon series and preaching here, I think applies to the same question of parents and kids is to say, if you actually make your way through books of the Bible, you're going to hit the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. If you just pick and choose passages and kind of hit like the highlights, like the classic, like the, the, the favorite passages to preach in different books of the Bible, you're going to skip the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So for example, yesterday, Steve, it was been very easy for you just to stop at verse 22 and just be like, you guys deal with that on your own. There you go. All <laughs> I'm right. done with this. You didn't do that, which is really good. Now we're, we're preaching a lot of text in this like 11 week series that we're in. So we, are, we yeah. aren't doing every verse of every chapter, but we are, even the, the big chunks that we're taking, we're not, and hopefully this is, I think this has been clear. We're not. We're not trying to avoid the hard stuff that's in First and Second Kings either, right? And so you you didn't avoid it yesterday, which is really good. I would say apply this. That maybe the most natural way to do this in your home would be to read parts of the Bible, to read the Bible to your kids, um, and to get your kids age appropriate Bibles. Um, my yep. oldest two are just starting to read the the ESV's children's Bible, so we're 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 up now from like the Jesus Storybook Bible and some yep. of like the the earlier ones with a lot of pictures and now the ESV uh, children's Bible has like some pictures in it, but it's the whole text of the whole Bible. And yep. they're just, I'm like, you know, here's a book that they're, they're jumping in and reading. Yep. So like my, my middle daughter's reading Genesis right now. Well, Genesis, like you're not going to avoid the hard stuff. No, there's some and hard like, stuff in there. And a lot really of really hard stuff for a seven year old. A lot of that will like go over her head right. and she's not going to like be like stuck on this question of like, why did Abraham sell his wife twice to right, like, a, right. you know, like he, he pimped out his wife. She might times. actually, like, she might ask that question. Might. Okay. She might. <laughs> and that would be great. But like whatever she picks up on will prompt discussions. And then increment, like you're saying, Steve, incrementally over time, the age developmental stages that our kids are going through. I think that the overall principle is saturation in all of it. Yeah. To try to get, try to get them as much exposure to all of the Bible not just the highlights, like not just the Sunday school stories right. yeah. that, that most of the time avoid those, right. um, those harder parts. And these, and so, so now violence in the old Testament, what do yeah. we do about that? Well, let's not, we, maybe we'll just touch on it briefly a little bit, yeah, I guess, it's big, right? It's a big question. Hard it's a question. big question. There's yeah. some good books. I think there, you have a question about that one book and then Matt, we just talked about quickly before and you have another book made to reference as well. Um, I would, I would, I would push against 
the narr- if there's a narrative you find yourself having to defend, defend it very clearly. Like God in the God in the Old Testament, who is the same God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we do not see. I don't think we see like ethnic cleansing and genocide the way that is accused. Sure, um, I think we see uh, more judgment on sin. Like that, that is always and ultimately what's happening. Yeah, and it's severe, right? And it's intense. Um, and it's meant to, in the same way that this bear story does, it's meant to stir the people then, yeah. prime, firstly, yeah. and us, secondarily, to the seriousness of sin. Yeah. Like, we really believe that God in his holy, perfect nature created men and women in his image, and we have corrupted that with sin. Mm-hmm. And. Our sin is not God just going like, man, I wish you guys would stop doing that. It is a it is an offense mm-hmm. to our holy God. Mm-hmm. And we then don't the, the 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 reconciliation is not just that we get to return to God and just like, okay, now we're on God's good side. It is an intimate, loving, eternal relationship restored to God mm-hmm. that we get to experience in part here and then in full in eternity. Mm-hmm. There is there's a there, there's just a cosmic level to sin yeah. that's so serious that we tend to lessen. Yeah. We tend not to think about it. And so we'll even read back into history things that are serious now and undermine the things that were serious then. We're just we're always reading with the wrong lenses sometimes. Sin is ultimately a serious offense to God and God takes it very seriously. And the story he's unfolding, I think it's a part of if you if anybody listened to the end of the sermon yesterday, like the story that he's unfolding yeah. is about how he is defeating the curse of sin and death and bringing restoration through his son Christ. Yeah, and that is like, that is like a cosmic story of great proportions. Yeah, and so we see those great proportions play out in the way that God opposes sin in the Old Testament with violence. Yeah, and I think we can also wrestle with how that still shows up today and understand. Yeah. How, how sin has still real consequences now. That's exactly, I think that's really well said, Steve. Yeah, it's, um, we, I think the primary principle being like that what, what a lot of the tactic is right now is to separate the Old Testament from the New. Right. The God of the Old Testament is a violent, angry, wrath-filled God. The God of the New Testament is expressed in Christ, the love and the mercy and the care and compassion for people. Until like, but so I think you you have if you read the Bible as a whole, you quickly see like, oh, there's a ton of mercy and grace and compassion from mm-hmm. God in the Old Testament. Yeah, and there's a ton of in the Book of Revelation. If you're if you're upset by the violence in the Old Testament, sure. you're going to be at least as much, if not more, upset by like what Revelation actually describes. Right when when Jesus comes again, not to save the first, as he did the first time, but to judge the right. world and righteousness. One, one quick thing I want to say yeah. too. Um, in God's story, I think I said it just so in brief yesterday in the sermon, God does not bring a judgment on sin until he first warns of that judgment by his word. Mm-hmm. And so even, I mean, it's a little bit striking when you think about what's written in Leviticus about how God will defend his covenant to the point of, yeah. if you if you rebel against the covenant, I will let loose the wild beast to bereave you of your children. Sure. It's exactly what happened here. I mean, it's, it like, it's, it's exactly what happens. And yeah. it's so striking to go... So in one way, you could look and say, I can't believe God's so cruel he did that. Yeah. And another way you go, God was so merciful, he told you that what would happen. Yeah. That's That was his mercy, that he yeah. said it would happen and you did not listen. Yeah. And that's ultimately, let's not read that only to those people. That's what we do. Yeah. Like God in his word is pleading with us. Yeah. To, to, to seek after, because that's what's best for us. Yeah. Ultimately, the question yesterday, 
whose authority is best and whose plan is best for us. Yep. And God's plan is best for us. He tells of that in his word, and it is true for us who know it. Yeah. Now, they, go to the go to the books. The books were there real quick. Yeah, the right? books. So the, the one that this person referenced and was referred to this person is, is called Is God a Moral Monster? It's written by Paul Copen or Coppen. I'm not sure how you say his last name. Um, and it's about making sense of, of the Old Testament God. Um, so I have not read this book. Uh, I had a quick, uh, quick convo with church planning resident Greg, who is fresher off his seminary and just more well-read than I am. He's just, so read, he's just straight up. Straight up. It's reader. Um, so he, he's familiar with this book. Um, so yeah, his, his read would be that it is, uh, it's, it's faithful. Um, Paul is a, is a faithful Christian. He's not trying to pull apart the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the new. He's presenting one of, of several theories about how, how do we reconcile, uh, particularly the Canaanite conquest as it's called, like the, the, yeah, the, the, right. the Israelites crossing the Jordan into the promised land, Joshua, uh, yep. Joshua attacking cities yep. and what's playing out there and what it, so he's, he's talking about one theory of, of how to reconcile that based in scripture. So that would be a resource that would be a good one to read and get your head into that. Um, Greg, uh, resident Greg recommended a, a different book actually by another Greg named Greg Beale or GK Beale, who's a prophet Westminster. Uh, it's a much shorter book. It's called the morality of God in the old Testament. It's, it's part of a series called Christian answers to hard questions. The morality of God in the old Testament, GK Beale uh, is selling for $4 at the Westminster bookstore, according to my internet browser right now. Okay. And, and in this book, uh, Greg Beale uh, lays out some of the different, ways you could reconcile it. Some of the ways that faithful okay. Christians have tried to navigate okay. how, what, cause there, even though we see this big picture view of God cleansing sin, God's how God treats sin, mm-hmm. there still are going to be these hard questions that we're left. And I think that's important to put out there too, is that I don't know that you can ever fully resolve all of the questions you will have about, well, like what about, yeah, what about like women and children in some of these cities sure. in, the, yeah. in Canaan when, when the Israelites came through and were told to just completely, yeah, to wipe out all yeah, utterly, the, utterly destroy. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's just, there's just going to be hard questions about, especially on a micro level. Like, well, what about those people? Yeah. On the, on the grand big picture scale, we can be like, I get kind of what God's doing there, but on the micro scale, it's like, man, but like for those people, what is that? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's acknowledge that too. There, there are hard questions. There are hard things that are probably not going to resolve this side of actually getting to ask Jesus that question. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's at least a, a couple words about the, the yeah. resources there and, and place for further study on it. It's great. Hey, Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciated uh, your preaching yesterday and leading us through faithfully Second Kings two. Uh, excited to continue on. We got um, several weeks left in the series, five or six maybe still to go yeah. uh, before we're in Advent. So we'll pick up uh, in Second Kings this coming Sunday. But uh, blessings to you and your Bible study group. Thanks for hanging in there through lots of good questions. Thanks for sending great questions. Yeah, great keep, questions. Keep them coming. And uh, hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you sometime soon. All right. Bye, everyone. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.